Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Nolan. My name is Pastor Nate. It's such a great day to be able to come together and to just worship our awesome God. He has risen. He has risen indeed. We were having a discussion about should we say that or not. Uh, and I said, I'm pretty old school, so you should say he is risen. And your response would be, he is risen indeed. There we go. It is a mind-blowing Events that we are celebrating today. Every year we come together to just focus on this because it's important, it matters, it's amazing. It's if it didn't happen, nothing happens, nothing matters, as Paul talks about and we'll be talking about today. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. If you don't have one at home, uh, please take that one. It's a gift from us to you. Um, We've got lots of them. Uh, We would love to have people have the Bible in their homes. So that's John chapter 20. And I'll be reading from verses 1 to 18. says this, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon and Peter and the other disciple, who is John, who's writing this right now, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I always found that to be a little bit of a dig, but let's just keep going. And And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other, disciples who had reached the, t- the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, verse 11. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One on the head and one on the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I I do not, not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to, the, to my father. But go 
to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. It's an amazing account. I think it's an account. I think I was listening to a podcast this week or last week talking about preparing to preach for Easter. And every pastor struggles with this. Like, you've heard it a million times. Especially if you grew up in the church. You've heard this story. What more do I have to say? The reality is we need to hear it again. So we're going to hear it again. Because it's still a mind-blowing thing. It's an amazing thing. I remember not too long ago, I think it might have been a year or two ago, they were talking about the most used GIFs. And if you ever know what a GIF is, GIF is a picture that's animated, it moves, okay? I call it a GIF because that's how you should call it, not a GIF, okay? It's a GIF, okay? Just putting that out there. And if you remember back in the day when websites were first being designed, they used to, like, especially the church ones, they had this Bible that always would flip open. They all had them. They were awful. Uh, but that, that's a GIF. But there's one of the most used ones is one that I have personally used, probably because it kind of looks like me. He's a nerdier version of me. And it's this guy standing up, like, kind of looking up to this guy. There's this retro eight, late 80s, 90s lasers background going on behind them. And he's going like this. And there's fireworks going on behind. Mind-blowing. <laughs> right? It's mind-blowing. Something truly mind-blowing is really something that changes all you know in an instant. And that's really what we see here. This is a mind-blowing event. This is a radical change. It's an extreme and substantial change in an existing system. Things are being broken here. Things are being made new. So when something is mind-blowing, you are thinking one way and suddenly you are thinking a different way. We can think of all sorts of interesting situations in which we have that encounter in our own lives. Nothing brought more extreme change than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing. It stands unrivaled as the most radical event in all history. There is nothing in history that is more mind-blowing than this event. Nothing. It was and is radical, mind-blowing. We see the importance of it with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, this time right now, is in vain and your faith is in vain. Christ rose from the dead. It is important. It is mind-blowing. He continues on verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Meaning that if Christ hasn't raised from the dead, if this event did not happen, we're still separated from a holy God. For the Christian, this is important. It's Easter. This is our Super Bowl. This is important. And on a side note, if you get more excited about the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup, I know the Leafs are doing well. Then this, you might want to check some stuff. This is how mind-blowing and how radical Jesus rising from the dead really is. If it didn't happen, nothing changes in the relationship between me and God. Everything we believe about God, Jesus, and being saved would be absolutely meaningless. It is important. The main point is this, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ stands unrivaled as the most radical event in history. 
In these short verses, we will see that Jesus rising from the dead irrevocably alters the system. It will never be the same. It radically changes the system in two ways. So we're going to be talking about two things that are radically changed. So the first radical change is, is death. You know, birth and death are common human experiences. I would all, go out on a limb and say that's the experience of every human. Just, just saying. They're simply unavoidable. If you're standing here, you were born. Hopefully. Human life, that short span of time between the womb and the tomb, is described by God as a vapor. Psalms 39 verse 5. Psalm 39 verse 5. I just had a flashback from my professor. (laughs) Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths. And my life is as nothing before you. Surely all man stands as a mere breath. See, in verse 1, we see here Mary Magdalene. And so it's in that first day of the week. It's three days later. Mary Magdalene is coming to the tomb. She's expecting something. She's expecting that her Lord is dead. He died on the cross and that was it. She's going to finish the burial practices of the time. She's expecting to find a body in that tomb. You see this in this text. So what was Mary thinking as she was walking? The Bible says, if the Bible says that my life and your life lasts no longer than the steam from our morning showers... We're like grass in our backyards. If it's like my grass, I can't get it to go green. It's green, lush, and healthy one day and withers and dies the next. This is Mary's mindset as she's walking to the tomb that first week. She goes looking for a body, the part of Jesus that left when his life was extinguished on the cross that Good Friday. But as we're walking, we get to verse 2, and, and, and then she, she gets to the tomb, and she begins to realize that the tomb is open, A. Eh? And we remember that the tomb was sealed, it was guarded, it was under control. She was expecting there to be a body, and she gets there, and there is none. The Lord, they have taken the Lord out of his tomb. Where have you laid him? Even in these words, She's in the mindset that Jesus is dead. She gets to the tomb to find what should have been sealed and guarded, but it was open. There's only one thought in her mind. So she goes and runs to the disciples. She says, I didn't see his body. But here's the important thing. Don't overlook this. Mary is assuming that Jesus is dead. She's assuming that. The text has said that there's no expectation that the disciples would be the ones to go and steal the body. They thought this life was done. They were hiding. Mary expected there to be a dead body. So Mary is bewildered. She runs to get the disciples. There's no idea of trying to create some sort of hoax. We see defeatism in this text. Mary's only idea is that Jesus' body has been stolen. It's not there anymore. Grave robbery wasn't an uncommon thing. It happened all the time. Grave robbery was such a common thing that happened that eventually the emperor of Rome, a few years later, would make it a capital offense to steal a body. 
It was so common. So even, even in the disappearing of, of Jesus' body, she's assuming that someone has stolen the body. There's no idea that Jesus has been raised from the dead yet. Things haven't clicked. So she runs in verses 3 to 4. So Peter, to go talk to Peter and John. And so Peter went out with the other disciple. And what is their response to Mary's? They get up and they just book it. Apparently John's faster than Peter. That's their reaction to Mary's reports. They get up and they run. Again, there's no expectation other than what they have already witnessed on the cross. And in verse 5, we see, we see John stooping in to take a look. But Peter, like Peter, I'm, I describe myself more like Peter. He, doesn't, he goes right in. He just barrels his way past John and gets in there. I'm going to see this for myself. And what do they find? You see, Christians often speak of the empty tomb of Jesus' resurrection. But according to the Bible, the tomb was not empty at all. There were some cloths there. Lying. We see this arrival as John stoops in. You remember, they're thinking Jesus is dead. They're thinking that the plot to kill Jesus has finally succeeded. Palm Sunday and Easter bookend the most important week in human history. In the year of 33 AD, on a Sunday, Jesus, the Galilean rabbi, teacher, arrives in Jerusalem to a chorus of welcome. By Friday afternoon, he is betrayed, arrested, deserted, mocked, accused, sentenced, beaten, and hung. And by Sunday, the tomb is empty in terms of a body. What John and Peter saw in this empty tomb was nothing less than the evidence of a resurrection. And then you begin to see the mind-blowing act beginning to go on in the disciples. Because in verse 8, we see John's response. And he saw and he believed. Because of what he saw in the not-so-empty tomb, John finally believed the truth about Jesus and his resurrection, and so should we. This is no secret. This was not unplanned. Jesus prophesied about this the whole time. He was with his disciples. They will kill me, and three days later I will rise again. He was very blunt about it. And then when John sees at this empty tomb, all of a sudden it's like you can see the fireworks going on behind him. And going like, maybe he wasn't doing this, but you know, whatever. Up until this, nothing was clicking. All that Jesus had said to them before didn't make any sense until they saw that Jesus wasn't there. And why? We, we need to see verse 9 here. They did not understand the scriptures. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the prophets of old to Jesus' own words, This was exactly what Jesus knew and planned from the very beginning. The disciples weren't making this up. The reaction, the the resurrection of Jesus Christ stands unrivaled as the most radical event in history. And let's just scroll down to verse 18 for a sec. Mary doesn't say, I have seen the Lord's body when she goes back to the disciples. She says, I have seen the Lord. Jesus conquered death. 
He stared into death's cold, cruel eyes with infinite power. He defeated death, rendering death impotent. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus, every person walked on this earth with an executionary's blade above their head, above their neck. Never sure when death would strike, but Jesus disarmed death. He shows us what awaits for those who are his. See, many legal scholars have tried to scrutinize and have scrutinized the evidence in light of, the, of legal standards, of current legal standards. One of them was a famous English jurist named Sir, uh, Sir Edward Clark. He wrote this, As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidence of the first Easter day. To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly as compelling. What Peter saw in the tomb was mind-blowing. When we study Jesus' burial, we would see that the, the, the Jewish practices of wrapping the corpse in, in, scents, uh, in, in, in strips of cloth and, and, and scents. It would be heavy. In addition, there would be that, that separate face cloth that would wound up around the head and the chin to make sure that the head wouldn't, be, wouldn't move in position. These are all the wrappings that John and Peter saw in this tomb. We can imagine Peter gazing at this scene. Just imagine as he walks into this kind of this cave situation. He's looking around and he sees the cloth, as the text says, just lying there. The body is gone. It has vanished. It hasn't been moved. The cloths are still there. And he begins to go through his head. Jesus' body had not been removed, as Mary feared. Looking at the cloths lying so neatly and so remarkably undisturbed where Jesus' body had rest, John reached the only reasonable conclusion. Jesus' body must have been raised in glory. So that passes through these cloths. See, unlike Peter, who gazed on the scene wondering, John looked with faith, believing in the resurrection of Jesus in response to the evidence that he sees before him. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We can imagine Peter standing over these grave clothes saying, "Ah, I don't believe it. But John, prompted by the evidence, comes to realize what the Bible had been saying about Jesus and believed. John would answer this, Christ has risen. (laughs) The resurrection of Jesus Christ stands unrivaled as the most radical event in history and assures us that there is hope for those who repent and believe. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. If there's no resurrection, I just die and that's it. But as one who has repented and believed in Jesus Christ and the gospel, I know that there's hope for me after. And the proof is in Jesus' resurrection. We so often try to insulate ourselves from eternity by mounting up all these sorts of treasures around us. We're like children building a pillow fort of cars and cash, hoping it will stop death's progress. It's silly and in a a weird way to, to live. 
for the Christian, for those who have repented and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus brings this mind-blowing change in how we see things. We don't live for the seen, but the unseen. Jesus conquered death and lives forevermore. Death no longer has a claim on us, and we're free to live for what lasts. We're able to live with open hands, giving up everything in this life because we're guaranteed another, greater, eternal life with Jesus. The resurrection proved that Jesus was vindicated by God, which means he was all he said he was and is. He is the Messiah the one who would rescue. He is all he claims to be. The resurrection of Jesus Christ stands as the most radical event in all history by defeating sin and death. But there's a second one. There's a second radical change. And we see this in verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. The disciples have gone home, but Mary stays And she continues to to move on and she interacts with two angels and then another man who she doesn't know is Jesus at the time, probably because she's just crying. Have you ever been weeping? I mean, not just like the little tinky little tear. I mean, weeping, you're not really seeing a lot. So she's looking at this figure. Jesus, she goes, where's where's my Lord's body? If you've taken him, please, please tell me so I, I can go. She's still thinking that Jesus is dead. But this man, I love it. All he has to say is her name, Mary. And her response is amazing. Rabboni. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But listen to these words. But go to my brother's And sisters, the text would say, and say to them, I am ascending to my father, and don't miss this, and your father, to my God and your God. See, the second radical change that happens is not just that Jesus conquers death, but he also makes it possible for us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Without this happening, we're still separated from a holy God. We get to stand before him. When Jesus rises from the dead, the position of his people are radically changed. This is a mind-blowing thing. This is impossible. I am a sinner. God is holy. It is impossible for me to have a relationship with him on my own. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, I can have life and you can have life in him. He tells her to say, he is ascending to my father and, and your father. It's also the only time in John's gospel he calls the disciples his brothers. When Jesus rises from the dead, the position of his disciples is radically altered. There's no longer a cutoff from God. No longer are they enemies. No longer are they dead in trespasses and sins. They're family members. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ for their sin and the divine acceptance of the sacrifice demonstrated on the resurrection ushers them into a new family with God as their father and Jesus as their brothers. And that is amazing. That is mind-blowing. 
That when I sit here and I spend time in prayer to my God, when I'm agonizing over an event or something that's going on in my life and I just don't know what's going on, I can call out to the God, the creator of the universe, as Father. Because of Jesus and what he has done for me. Christ died for our sins and rose again. The long-promised Messiah who was born of the Virgin Mary and lived a sinless life, these last three years of his life were spent doing good and teaching people about God. He died both fully human and fully God. He was put to death on a Roman cross and he really did actually die. Heart, stock pumping, brain stuff, doctor stuff. Happened. He was dead. To the point that when his body was taken down from the cross, it was buried in a Jewish tomb. This death of Jesus was not an accident, however. We've got to remember that the disciples' understanding is that Jesus is dead. But it doesn't stay there. And Christ died for our sins. and He, he died in our place of. The death of Jesus that he died was a substitutionary. It was, a, it was dying in the place of or for someone else. And he did that for, our, for us. He died for our sins. The death that Jesus died was for all those who repent, who turn away from the sin and believe and have faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. He died for our sins because we're all born sinful. All of us have sinned in real time. God told the first man, Adam, that if he sinned, he would surely die. And that the penalty for sin is death. And we experience that every day. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus came to die in our place. He took our sins on himself and suffered the punishment of God on, in our place. And it wasn't just ended there. He was raised from the dead. It was God's giant stamp of approval. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was resurrected on the third day and appeared to many of his disciples to prove it. We can continue to read through the texts. You can read through it in the other Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus appears to almost 400 people. You can't hide that. We have a hard enough time keeping the secret from our family. <coughs> Jesus rose again, and with a giant stamp of approval, we now we know that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. We know that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that through the resurrection, there's no longer any condemnation. That therefore now no condemnation are for those who are in Christ Jesus. By his resurrection, we can know we are no longer separate from God, but have been brought near to God. He is our Father and he is our God. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He died to prove how much he loves us. And through the resurrection, we have a guarantee of eternal life. As Jesus rose from the dead, he made it possible for a radical change to happen in his disciples' lives and to those who are followers of Christ. No longer were there enemies of God, but because of their faith, they now can call the holy God Father 
and Jesus a brother. The resurrection of Jesus stands unrivaled as the most radical event in history. So, so what? And who cares? Something truly mind-blowing is really something that changes all you know in an instance. This is a radical change. It's an extreme or substantial change in an existing system. So when something is mind-blowing, we are thinking one way, and suddenly you are thinking of a different way. You see John? He runs to the tomb thinking Jesus is dead. And then he sees the evidence, and he believes. Jesus rising from the dead is radical for two reasons. Two things that were hopeless, seemingly impossible, have happened. Death has been conquered. The grave couldn't hold him. And I can have a relationship with the Holy God. This is how mind-blowing. This is how radical Jesus rising from the dead really is. If it, if it didn't happen, nothing matters. As one of the great, great preachers has said in the past, well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. So my question to you is this. Do you know him? Do you know the one who has conquered death? The one who makes the right, us right before a holy God. Do you know him? The resurrection of Jesus Christ stands unrivaled as the most radical event in history. And that's my king. Is he yours? Do you know him? Do you know the one who has conquered death? The one who has made it possible for us to be made right before a holy God? If you want to know more about who Jesus is, come and talk to myself or Pastor Matt, or one of the ushers. We love talking about Jesus. Come and talk to us. And I would love to talk to you more about the hope that I have through Jesus Christ, my Lord. He is my King. And I pray that He's yours too. Because one day He's coming back. And things will be very different. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for the amazing day it is that we can come and, and just celebrate and worship and praise you for all that you have done for us. Lord, the resurrection is the most mind-blowing event in all history. You have conquered death. You conquered the grave. And you made it possible for us to be married right before a holy God. Jesus, we just thank you. We praise you. And Lord, I pray that if anyone does not know you as king, that you would convict them by your spirits and call them to yourself. And amen.